Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Make sure that whatever risk you take won't break you. It doesn't matter how many times you fail as long as you're able to recover from that risk. And as long as you're not going to get broken by whatever risk you're taking, the payoff will always end up being bigger in the long run. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations, not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about their pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E. You're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. 
For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. What's us today? Dave Perret. How you doing, Dave? I'm doing well, brother. I appreciate you having me on. I love your show. Well, I thank you for that, and I'm glad to hear it. And well, first off, you're active duty Marine, so thank you, sir, for everything you do and you and your colleagues letting us have this time to be free and have these conversations. So first and foremost, have a lot of respect for you and all of your colleagues. Dave also, he started investing in real estate in 2015. He's a founder of From Military to Millionaire. He has bought and sold 54 units, 40 of those 54 being a 40-unit property. He holds 13 rentals and is a general partner in a 146-unit apartment community based in San Diego, California. So with that being said, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Absolutely, brother. So as you mentioned, Marine, I joined the Marine Corps 2008. Sometimes I would say a lot of the world, like it's a great thing. Sometimes I'd say too much of the world, but had a lot of experience just with people and different cultures. And in 2015, I was a recruiter in the Midwest. Someone handed me the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I told him I don't read, kind of joking, like I'm a Marine. What do you think? I'm hard-headed. And the guy literally pulled a CD disc out of his <laughs> pocket and was like, well, you spend a lot of time driving in your car. So here you go. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, oh, you got me. I got to listen to this. And <laughs> within three months I had closed on a duplex house hack, living in one side, renting the other, doing that good thing. And then about six months later, I got orders to Hawaii. I was like, man, it's a lot more expensive over here. I got a bunch of offers declined, couldn't find anything that worked by. So I just kept buying in Missouri. So I started the long distance thing that had the duplex. I bought a single family that we did kind of the burr strategy before I knew what that was. So we renovated it and then we rented it out. And then a few years later, we didn't refinance. We pulled a HELOC on it and we used that HELOC to buy a 10 unit and then bought a 40 unit, did some stuff on it, got rid of the 40 unit, turned around, flipped a house. So during this, I'm partnered on a couple flips in San Diego, small partnerships here and there, made some money and then flipped a home in Missouri And then I'm currently under contract on a duplex. So that'll be 14 and 15 that I just plan to hold indefinitely in that little market. And then a general partner came in the last few months in a big deal in South Carolina. So the big trend for me is just trying to balance being a full-time Marine traveling all over the place with investing in various markets with a lot of just sight unseen stuff, building teams and networking and relationships. So that's a little bit about me and just continuing to grow all of that. Let's talk about that 40 unit since you've taken that full cycle. Tell us about how you found it, what the business plan was, what you bought it for, what you put into it, what you sell for, all that good stuff. We bought this thing for about $150,000 down and we bought it at a 2.795 with some great financing options. So that one's just kind of a strange ordeal. So realistically, that one wasn't a huge profit. That one ended up being something that we got out from under because it was a deal that didn't quite work out to what it was supposed to be. So mm-hmm. that's probably the one deal in all of this that I haven't actually lost anything on it yet, but I got out from under because it just did not work out. So the guy didn't uphold his end of the contract. Things went super, super, super sideways. And in essence, a year and a half later in a fun legal battle, trying to pull all of our original capital back out of it. So I may say full cycle on that one, but 
that was the one big mistake that, <laughs> which is funny because one of your lightning round questions is big mistake you've made on a mm-hmm. transaction. And that was going to be my answer. But, um, <laughs> I sniffed it out right out of the gate. <laughs> yeah. So that's good. So that yeah, was just it dumb was, luck on my part. No, it's, it's totally good. I know. I thought about bringing all that up before we got on the call, but in essence, the gentleman that I was under contract with, there were things that were very clear in the contract. This needs to be done by this date or seller owes buyer this, and it just didn't happen. So like what, what's an example? roof needed to be replaced by the 90 days after closing or seller owed buyer $100,000. Okay. 120 days into the deal, it's December and I've got commercial tenants. It was a mixed use. So it was 25 residential, 15 commercial on a four-story building in the Southwest. And in essence, the two commercial tenants on the fourth floor broke their lease because come December, they have a leaky roof and no HVAC. And oh. the two things in the contract were replace the roof and put HVAC on the fourth floor. <laughs> and it's December in the Midwest. So it's snowing outside and I have a wedding venue. It's 45 degrees inside this building. Oh. Um, we're done. So there's some crazy stuff. Like there were four units that were in the contract that they were supposed to be finished with renovations by 45 days after closing. And when we brought the city inspector in, he's like, we put a cease work order on this four months ago and they finished it without a permit. So all of those walls need to be removed. That plumbing needs to be removed. And the guy was basically like, well, the contract just said I had to finish them. Uh, they're not finished. No, they're done. But no, no, no. <laughs> like they have to be finished up to code. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it was things like that. So we ended up, what we did was we just basically offloaded it and said, Hey, we want our down payment back plus cause it had been cash flowing up until we lost the commercial tenants. And at that point, the guy had had 30 days to pay us for the work he hadn't completed. And we were just getting the same like, oh yeah, I'll get to it. No, that's it's not quite how this works. So we broke the contract, asked for the down payment back, got told it was non-refundable. And we have a court date set for July finally to finish all that out. But I guess the biggest thing I would say for that is we're talking as far as lessons for your listeners, because I have no problem being the guy to talk mistakes is document everything. Even if it's a phone call, follow up with an email and say, hey, this is what we agreed to while negotiating on the phone call. Please reply to confirm because one or two emails that I should have sent that I didn't. Yep. So we have, he said, she said addendums to the contract that were made afterwards that there's just no record of, which isn't going to screw me, but it's going to make things very difficult. More difficult, yeah. Yeah. So I would just say document everything like that. And hey, stuff's not always going to go your way. Don't invest money you can't afford to lose because this didn't stop me. I've bought three more rental units since then, flipped a house and partnered up on a GP for a big apartment complex because it was money I could afford to lose. So don't go in over your head and just have a plan. Stuff's going to go wrong. Don't let it stop you from investing. So this is interesting because it's creative financing and that is talked about in a positive light the majority of the time when you're talking about real estate transactions. And in this scenario, because it was creative financing, it did not work out because there was another party involved due to the creative financing. Whereas if it had been traditional financing, then you wouldn't have that person involved. But on the flip side, you would have had to get the work done yourself and get it budgeted and get it financed or some sort of financing or cash out of pocket to do the work. So my question is, if presented another deal that's a very close cousin to this, other than it's just a different seller, how would you structure it to make the deal work? If it would be creative financing, 
then what are some things that you'd make sure you had in place? That's a great question. I love that. I've done a lot of thinking about this because, <laughs> because the reality is looking back, you can kick yourself about all the things that went wrong. But if I knew everything I knew going forward, I would probably still close on that property. I don't know any other way that I would have gotten 4%. This is in 2018 where interest rates were not as low as they are now, but 4% interest for the duration of the loan and interest only for the first year. Those are some pretty competitive terms for commercial financing in 2018. How long was the loan? I had eight years to the balloon okay. payment, but it was amortized for 25. So Got it. Those are some fairly competitive terms for commercial property. And the deal at the time I bought it, it was only like 80% occupied and it had a lot of room to grow. And- it was below market. It was a huge value add. It was a really cool property, had a lot of history in the town. A lot of people knew the building. I don't know that I would change the fact that I bought it. And honestly, given the same options going forward, I would probably still do it. For sure, the first thing I would do is all of the do this by this date or owe this much money, I would escrow all of that cash up front. I would say that's great, but I want all of this into the escrow fund so that if you don't do what you're supposed to do, I still get my cash. And you can do the work out of the escrow fund. That's totally fine, but it's getting escrowed. So we don't have a, oh yeah, I'll get to it payment. That would be the first thing I would do. The second thing I would do, and this is a little bit on the smaller scale, is I would bring my personal management team in immediately. And this might just be a personal thing because of the experience, but the manager seemed incredible when we took over the place. I just didn't realize, I guess, that the manager was kind of getting an under the table commission portion of the sale. So while the manager wasn't terrible, they weren't nearly as good as they made themselves out to be. So going forward, I'd probably just say, hey, look, I trust you. You look awesome. You seem great. That's wonderful. But my team is going to take over this going forward because I I know them, I trust them, and no matter how good you seem, I'm taking a risk on what you might be like after the fact while they've already been tried and tested. So those would probably be the two biggest things I would change. And as far as the creative financing, I've bought other properties and they've all gone really well. I think it's less of the financing model and more of just the people involved that can sometimes be the make or break which is unfortunate, but I guess maybe I would just do a better job of background checks. But even then, the few references I had and the little bit of a track record I had in town, the gentleman checked out. So I don't know if maybe I just got unlucky, but mm -hmm. it is what it is. On the flip side, what deal have you made the most money on? The most money I made probably was so far as my 10 unit, which I still own. The 146 will ultimately end up being the most money, but it's just a little bit newer in the cycle. So the 10 unit, this is Missouri prices, so it's fairly affordable, but it was valued at 240. I bought it at 212 and it was under market rent. And I got the bank to bring in 86% financing, seller to carry 10, and I came out 4.1, 4.2. Nine, somewhere in the four to five percent range for down payment. Wow. So I was able to get in super creative, super low. This is my third purchase. So I still was fairly strapped for capital. I was still in the please help me so I can save more money. So I bought it and it cash flowed about $1,200 a month on average from day one. So about 100% cash on cash return. And we're up to about $1,600 a month that it cash flows. And at the 18 month mark, I refinanced, paid off the seller financing. And I didn't pull cash out really for myself. I pulled just enough out to cover my down payment. 
So at this point, two and a half years later, I've got nothing in it. I have no seller financing. I'm at about 69% loan to value and I've got 92,000 in equity and it cash flows about 15 to 1600 a month. Wow. That's a grand slam. Yeah, it's awesome. How'd you find it? Ironically, I was mailing out to absentee homeowners about duplexes and basically I got this phone call and he was like, I got your letter. I'm like, oh, awesome. He's like, I don't want to sell my duplex. My first thought is like, why are you calling? (laughs) Thanks. You just didn't have to. Anyway, and he's like, but I have this other property. It could have been lonely. Yeah, maybe. You know, if it was during quarantine, I'd be much less skeptical. (laughs) And, uh, but he says, but I've got other properties. And I'm like, okay, great. What do you have? And he shot me a couple of different things and they just didn't really work. And I was like, okay, well, that's cool. Well, if you ever come across any other multifamily or at this time, I was still looking for duplex, single family yeah. properties. He's like, well, what about 10 units? Well, I'm interested. Talk to me. And he gave me a price for 235 and we went back and forth on it. And then we went under contract at 225, which still would have been a great deal for me. But throughout inspections and stuff, we were able to negotiate a little bit more of that down. So it all worked out. He was great for seller financing. And the cool thing is, I don't know that he understood paper or that he really just didn't need the cash. But when I refinanced, he let me go, no prepayment penalty, no nothing. So ultimately over that year and a half, I think I paid like 0.75% interest on my seller financing to him because I had only paid down one and a half percent of the seller financing Mm-hmm. By the time we refinanced and he didn't ask for interest on any of the remainder. So mm. it was basically free money for me yeah. to buy a property. So it was pretty cool. You were mailing out to absentee owners about duplexes. Will you describe the process that you used? Yeah, I'm a pretty simple guy. So I just go into list source and I just really dive down into a specific zip code or you can even draw out on a map, a square block or whatever that you want. And you can just narrow down in there to absentee homeowners. So as you know, people who don't live in the home, but they own it. And you can pick out equity percentages. You can pick out age of the property. And I basically was just mailing out to people who had owned a property since right around the crash or longer. So the people who had owned it for at least 10 years, who theoretically would have at least 40% equity, hopefully, and be able to negotiate a little bit because I knew that I was going to try to at least get some angle on the seller financing, whether that was 100% seller finance or part of the down payment because I was in the bootstrapping phase of the business. So I had narrowed it down to length of ownership, equity percentage being over 40%, absentee homeowner. And really at the time, I had just put two to four units because I didn't know anything about the commercial stuff and it was mm-hmm. kind of intimidating to me. So the 10 unit was a stretch for me going as a first property, but the numbers made sense. So I just kind of let myself jump off the cliff. And I guess that would be the short answer to that. And then I just- What the notes say? And is it a postcard? Is it an envelope with a letter inside of it? At this time, I was not doing mass. So I was literally had a yellow piece of paper. And I remember I had a 24-hour duty shift, which we do in the military here and there. And I sat at this desk during that 24 hours and hand wrote 110 letters of, hi, my name is David Perret. I'm a real estate investor in your market and I'm interested in your home at such and such address. I can close fast. Please contact me for more information. And I got a great return. I probably got 19 or 20% callbacks on all those handwritten letters because they were in blue ink. I would throw one or two pennies in the envelope. I would throw a picture of my family in the envelope and I would hand sign every letter. So I'm sure every single one of those got opened. 
Mm-hmm. But I learned very quickly that that is miserable. <laughs> and so I never did that again. At this point, if I'm targeting, if I'm driving around and I see a property that looks like it has a ton of potential or if I'm targeting a specific home or two, I'll handwrite everything. Otherwise, what I did is I basically found a font that looked somewhat like my handwriting and I'll print that out on paper and then I'll sign it in blue ink. And I still to this day will hand address the envelopes because I think that definitely speaks volumes for how much your envelope gets opened. Mm -hmm. And I still stuff it in an envelope and go, I'm not sending thousands and thousands of mailers out, but that's kind of my go-to. And my open rate has definitely dropped. It's probably 5%, maybe on a good day, 10%. You mean your response rate? My response rate. Yes. Sorry. But I would rather send 500 and get 10% responded or 5% responded than handwrite a hundred of them (laughs) that takes me two days and get still less responses in the grand scheme of things, even if it's a higher percentage. The picture of your family, are you wearing a military outfit? It depends on where I'm mailing to. Like when I lived in Hawaii, for instance, that didn't really hold any weight because everybody around the base was military. So I would just go with like a normal picture, like a fun in the sand beach Christmas photo that I have of us all in pajamas on the beach in Christmas stuff. Okay. If I'm mailing somewhere like the Midwest though, where they're very military friendly, Mm -hmm. then yes, it's generally going to be something with either in a Marine Corps shirt or hoodie. I generally don't enjoy the uniform. There's just something about that that seems kind of cringy to me as a service member, Mm -hmm. but I will at least put, have a picture where I'm in a big, very obvious Marine Corps hoodie and with the family. So it's more focused on the family than the military service, but maybe Mm -hmm. some subtle hints in there. What about the pennies? Is there a reference in the note to why pennies are included? No, I totally should do that though. That's a great idea. I should put a line in there don't, that just says No, don't you do any you you're you what you got is right. Don't let me mess it up. I'm just asking <laughs> questions. So the pennies, for those of you who aren't listening, is really just because if you got an envelope in the mail and something was rattling around in it, would you open it? Or I'd call the FBI. Yeah, one or the other. But hey, the FBI will open it and tell you what it says. So either way, you're gonna read what I wrote. <laughs> Okay. That's cool. I'm glad that you talked about this in detail. It's a way that can help others get their letters opened and noticed. Did you ever consider having an assistant whose time is $10 an hour or much less write those letters? I actually have several virtual assistants for various things. I have yet to make my administrative one write my letters for me. But I will tell you a funny story from a good friend of mine who basically ran a letter sweatshop out of his office. So if you ever get him on the show, I apologize, Mr. Gillespie. But basically he had two or three Marines come over and he would provide alcohol and pizza and they would spend eight hours handwriting letters in his house. And it was only scalable for a month or two before he couldn't convince anyone else to come and do it anymore. (laughs) But that's probably my favorite. This guy probably put out 2000 letters one weekend and he had six guys over and basically was just like, I'm providing alcohol and providing food. Like this is going to be fun, but no one ever returned. So he said it wasn't worth the relationships he might be ruining, but (laughs) (laughs) he's giving them food and alcohol. I would do it, but I might be crazy. Taking a step back based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? Man, just get out there and do it. I tell people from the military, I have a safety net. So I'm allowed to take really big risks in my opinion, because if all else fails, I've got housing and food and clothing and whatever taken care of and a fairly stable job. Basically, when I tell people my favorite advice is always like learn network and take action. But 
my best advice is get out there and take risks, but just make sure that whatever risk you take won't break you. It doesn't matter how many times you fail as long as you're able to recover from that risk. And as long as you're not going to get broken by whatever risk you're taking, the payoff will always end up being bigger in the long run. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I am ready for the lightning round. All right, let's do it. First quick word from our best ever partners. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Are you looking to get started in multifamily investing or looking to grow your portfolio? Nathan Tabor has created an online course that is slammed with incredibly useful and practical information. Check it out at apartments.nathantabor.com. All right. What's the best ever book you've recently read? The best ever book I've recently read, I would have to go with either Like Switch, which is a book dedicated completely to how to build relationships through body language. It's another FBI agent writing a book about body language and stuff, but it's super, super fun read and really intuitive and just little things you can do to make yourself a little bit more likable. Or I'm just going to plug Big Debt Crisis by Ray Dalio because I'm reading it right now and it's fairly applicable to where we're at in the economic cycle. So (laughs) it's a heavy read, but it's good. Yeah, I will buy Like Switch. I have not heard of that and I am looking forward to reading that. What is the best ever deal that you've done? It doesn't have to be monetarily because we already talked about that, the 10 unit, but just best ever deal. And if it's a 10 unit, then that's fine. We can move on. That's a good one. But I think the best ever deal I've done, and this is going to be super cliche because we already mentioned the actual deal deal, is going to be the word networking. I have gained more out of whether virtual or in-person relationship building. So I would venture to say that the relationships I've built are probably the best deals I've ever made. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? Free content and helping others. I'm out here just trying to help others avoid some of the mistakes I've made along the way. So if I can help someone avoid a mistake or answer a question for them, that's the easiest way for me to add value. And how can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? You can find me. My social media handle is at from military to millionaire. But if you Google military millionaire, I'll pop up all over the place. And the hope is to just help other service members, vets, and normal people learn how to build wealth through real estate and entrepreneurship. Well, Dave, thank you for being on the show, talking about your 40 unit and the creative financing and a couple things that you do differently if presented a similar opportunity like the escrow fund as well as bringing your own management team to the property immediately, regardless of how well the pre-existing team checks out. And talking about the 10 unit too, the Grand Slam 10 unit. That's phenomenal. Congratulations on that. And then also talking about direct mail too. Lots of really interesting and actionable items from this conversation for everyone, myself included. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have the best ever day. Talk to you again soon. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it.